For everybody else, if you will, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, where it's been a little while since we were here, but we will be continuing our verse-by-verse study, our look into the Gospel of Mark. One of the last times that we were here, Jesus gave the, the second prediction of his death, and it says in Mark chapter 9, verse 30, it says, then they, they left the place and made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples. He was teaching them privately at this point, and he was telling them, listen, the Son of Man, me, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. So he's very clear here, the Son of Man, who he's referred to himself as multiple times, I'm going to be betrayed, meaning by someone close. Someone will betray me. They will kill me. And after I am killed, I will rise again three days later. But they did not understand this statement, or they did not want to. And they were afraid to ask him, which kind of shows that they did not want clarity on it. Because sometimes the unknown to us is so terrifying. It's, it's scary. And as we Look ahead, you know, you could be looking forward into this next year, something that is scarier, it's uncertain. Because we like security. We like to know what's going on. We like comfort, especially some of you with your type of personalities. You like to plan, not just for today, not for tomorrow, but you've got your five years laid out in front of you. And even though we need a vision, we need a purpose, we need a plan, a lot of our lives are supposed to be spent in faith and in trust and in belief to the things that we hear from the people that we trust the most. Here in this case, the disciples hearing their master, hearing their Lord, who they've already confirmed as such, as the Messiah, as the Christ. And they're, they're too afraid to ask because they don't really want to know. Because any time that we look forward to the future, we want something positive. Like, we like change when it's good, when it's improving, when it's going the way that we want it to go. All of us look forward to change. All of us look forward to maybe in this next year getting a little thinner, eating a little healthier, getting a little more muscle, getting a little more relaxed, whatever that is that you desire. We all want that positive change. We all want that certainty. And that we see that kind of here in the, the next reaction. Jesus Christ just told his disciples that he was going to die. He was going to be betrayed. And that he was going to rise again. And they don't, mm, I don't want to, mm, that's great, Christ, move on. Because the next thing they really start worrying about here that we see according to Mark. Now again, Mark goes boom, 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 boom. He's moving immediately, immediately, immediately. But then the next thing that he records for us is these guys walking down the way when he was in the house, when he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way here? They're in Capernaum now. Verse 34, they fell silent. They were silent because on the way there, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. These men who've been following Christ, who they just were told by him that he was gonna be betrayed and killed they're sitting around thinking about their place, their status, their position, themselves. Who is going to be the greatest? So sitting down, 
Jesus did this, verse 35, sitting down, he called the 12 and he said to them, listen, if, if anyone wants to be first, if any of you want to be first, number one, the guy, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. And to make this point, and then he, this is not a separate issue, this is the same thing, to make this point, he took a child that was near, and he didn't kidnap him, but he just kind of grabbed him over. He took a child, and he had him stand among them, puts this boy in the midst of him, or this girl, whoever, and taking him, okay, it is a him, in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name, they welcome me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. So to, to understand and for us to draw this out into a way where it, it shows us what God is trying to teach us, we have to understand that whoever welcomes this one little child, just this random kid that he just picked up off the street apparently, and that's being held in the arms of Christ. Whoever welcomes one little child such as this, whoever receives this child in my name, they welcome me. And whoever welcomes me, whoever receives me, whoever, they welcome the one who sent me. They welcome God. And so Christ, as he came, he obviously he was revolutionizing. He was opening the eyes of the blind. He was getting away from the traditions that man had fallen into. He was restructuring the church. He was getting rid of the sacrificial system because he was now becoming the sacrifice to fulfill the old law. And here in this, he's now restructuring and teaching us as he has multiple times before and as he will multiple times forward. The importance, the implications of how we treat one another, of where our care, where our concern should be. He says, if, if you're not, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and a servant of all. And that's not how we act. That's not how we're taught to act. That's not how our culture encourages us to act. We're all taught we should be kind, right? Especially in the South, chivalry is not dead. We're supposed to open doors for the ladies. We're supposed to say, yes, sir, no, ma'am. We're supposed to say thank you obnoxiously, repetitively. We're supposed to say we're sorry obnoxiously, repetitively, even when we're not. That, that is, we're taught to be courteous, hospitable, and kind. But that's not really putting other people first. That's us promoting ourselves in a way to where they can look upon us and see that we are good. That's not what he asked for us to do. We were taught by the great prophet Ricky Bobby that if you're not first, you're last, right? Amen. But here, Christ is going against the culture. He's going against everything. Because what I've described about us and our culture here in Union County and in this area in the South, that's not new. Different clothes, different practices, different shape, but we're all still people. We've been doing these same things for a long, long time. And here, 
while they're worrying about themselves, focusing on themselves, thinking about themselves and how they could be greater. Jesus is telling them, that's not where your focus should be. That's not what you should do. That's not how you earn God's honor. That's not, if anyone wants to be first, first in whose eyes? In God's, in Christ's, the ultimate judge, our one and only judge, the ultimate standard, the one who died for us, the one who loved us, the one who created us. If, if we wanna be first, if we wanna be honored, if we wanna be better in his eyes, then we must be last and a servant of all. So all the ways that we can expand this out. We're to humble ourselves. Granted, okay, it's not the first time Jesus has asked us to do that. We are to humble ourselves. We are to compete, as it says in Colossians, we are to compete only in things of who can honor each other the most, who can forgive each other, who can serve each other the most. We must be last and we must be a servant of all, not so that other people, other people, may look upon us, may praise us, may think well of us because of what we have done for them. But looking to God first, putting him first, seeking him first, and understanding that part of that, part of us serving each other, and this is why Jesus draws it in this way. When, when we serve the people around us in the name of Jesus, in that spirit, not seeking anything for it, not asking anything for it. When we serve God in that way, when we serve the people around us as he has commanded us to in obedience to him, in humility to him, then we're, we're serving, yes, we're serving those people, but we're serving God. We are serving Christ and through him, the one who sent him, we are serving God. So it's not about getting accolades by being thought of as kind, by being thought of as generous, by being thought of by whatever people may think or assume about you, by whatever good face, whatever mask that you can put on, but out of a genuine place in our spirits, serving people because we're seeking to serve the Lord. It's all about intentions here. It's all about intentions here. And what this draws me to as we look towards our future, as we make our plans as church, is a vision for us, not just individually, but as a body, as a whole. The things that we need to put forth, I almost got some phlegm in that hole there. <clears throat> it's the Jew coming out in me. What we're working towards as a whole, the direction of our church, Right? And obviously, we can all take this. We can all say, well, we need to less of ourselves, more of others. Do think less of ourselves, serve other people. Now, yes, you need to take care of yourself. Your body is the only one God's gonna give you for right now. And we want it to be here as long as it possibly can be. You do need to eat better. You do need to get more sleep. That's my problem. You do need to uh, be more active, you do need to take care of yourself, brush your teeth, put on deodorant, please, middle school boys, put on deodorant. But that's beyond that. 
taking care of yourself even because you need to help take care of other people. Forming yourself into a tool that God can use for others. That can be honorable. That can be good. One thing that this drew me to and him just using the example of the child is when Christ talks about like this is pure religion. When we minister to the widows and to the orphans. And that is why we as a church, as a people like here on January 29th, Sunday morning, we're gonna have a service. And during that service, we are gonna worship God even though it's not gonna look like this Sunday morning. Because during that, on a Sunday morning, we're going to ordain our deacons, our new deacons. We're gonna grow that body. Why? Because we need more servants, more men set aside to do the work that they have. Our deacons have been so good and so honorable. Most of the pastors, like pastors, it is our God-given right to make jokes about our deacons, right? You go to any Southern Baptist church, it's like, yes, we believe in Christ. Yes, we can pick on our deacons. Like that is the rule of law. Yes, we believe in casseroles and fried chicken and that is how we operate. These men have been so good and so gracious to me. They pray for me. They support me. And so, yeah, of course I would have a high opinion of them. But golly, do they care about you guys. Whether you know them or not, whether you know that or not, our deacons pray for you. They are always seeking to do Christ's will. Whether you are aware of it or not, they are meeting the needs in our community and in our church family, whether you know it or not. We raised our benevolence fund this past year by several thousand dollars. And, and that was something that they asked for and they begged for, and we have been able to use that money to help so many people in, in times of brief, brief crisis or in times of just enabling them to get out of a hole in order that they may breathe and be free. But we need more. We need younger men that continue to grow while we still have men who are older and more mature in the deaconship in order to disciple and grow and build them up as well. That is a need, that is a vision that we are gonna come forward with here in the next month or so. Another thing that I see as we look at this, when we talk about being a servant of all, means everybody. I like to joke, I like to talk about how, you know, God has kept this church here, provided for us, sustained us since 1886, right around the time Mike Payne was born. <laughs> and he's seen it all. But God has loved us. God has equipped us. We have had faithful men serve in the pastorship. I stand on all of their shoulders. But going forward, what does he have for us? Our county is growing at a rate of roughly 160 new people per month. In the past several years, we have grown by thousands. Church attendance has not gone up by thousands in the past few years. We have a massive amount of people that live all around you, all around us. They shop at your businesses. You serve them at your work. Their kids go to school with us. 
and they do not know God. They do not know Christ, or even if they do, they do not know that there is a church body and a family here that is willing to do life alongside them, that wants to worship with them, that wants to be one with them in Christ. And so if we want to change in our hearts, if we want to change for our better for this next year, if we want to be first, then we need to become servants of all. And this isn't some dramatic thing which I want you to get the cross tattooed on your chest. You know, it's not that complicated. I experienced this this past week. I, I go to the dump a lot. My kids produce a lot of trash. My wife's Amazon shopping habits produce a lot of boxes. Christmas, all the things. I had to clean out my mom's basement. Oh, servant of all. Let me be last. (laughs) Servant of all. (laughs) So there, there was one day this week I made probably multiple trips to the dump. And there's this sweet woman who works there. She's always kind. We like to joke. Um, Even though she works in one of the most nastiest places in the county (laughs) at the transfer station, she always has a smile on her face. I invited her to church. I don't know if she's here, but I was just like, why would I not? Why would I not invite this person? Don't tell her I said that if she does end up coming, but what, you know, why would I not? How many people in your life throughout your week are there and you're there and you have just the, the smallest connection, just, just enough to where you can say, hey, where do, do you go to church on Sundays? No? You should join us. They could say no, worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, they just say no. You say, that's okay. What they're probably going to say is, I'll think about that. And then the next time you see them, you do it again. And then the next time you see them, you do it again. Because listen, one change that we need to make as a church, if we can get past all the things that entertain us to death, if we can get past all the distractions that we have here in this world, is for us to remember that hell is real, that Jesus is real, and that the family and the community that we have within our church is real. And I don't think we've experienced any more than and needed it any more than we have in the past few months. Hell is real and we are not warning people about it. Jesus is real and we are not introducing them to him. And this body, this church is real and we are not welcoming them. We must become a servant of all and it is not a snap thing and we're not gonna have 200 extra people here next Sunday and we don't want that. That's not the point. This isn't a sermon. This isn't a speech about church growth because I want a bigger budget or more seats in the pew or higher accolades for me as a pastor. It's that we are here and God has kept us here and God is sustaining us here and this is our mission field. This is our place and this is our time. So let us reach the people all around us. Yes, support Justin Haynes and his ministry. Support those in Papua New Guinea. Support uh, when we go on these trips, maybe to Honduras later this year, like, yeah, come on. But the rest of the time, the rest of the year, 
We're right here. So let this be where we minister and where we serve together. When we talk about putting ourselves last and, and, and Jesus uses this example as a child. It talks about becoming a servant of all. It's something that is, God has given me a vision for for us as a church and something that he has convicted me about greatly and something that if you can look at what you've been asked to pray for for me and my family, if you've been, look at how even Adam prayed and the way that God just correlates these things so well is that we do so many good things, Right? We do, we, we as a people, you individually, us as a church, we do so many good things pointed towards serving God. I'm not diminishing that. There's no such thing as a perfect church. There's not, hence the need for a perfect savior. But, and there's always things that we can do better and there's always things that we do great. But sometimes we try to look at these bigger things and it's like, yeah, let's, go on this, let's start this ministry, let's do. And we lose sight of the, the simple, the small, the at-home things that God has called for us to do, that God has begged for us to do, that he's designed us to do within our families and then within our greater church family and then outwards exporting that to the world. And one of those things is this. And this is not like a, hey, I do this perfectly and now I want everybody else to do it as well. This is a, I was never taught this, I was never shown this, and we're working on it right now, getting it going in our own home. But if we can make this one simple change, the way that it will compound, the way that it will expand, it's immeasurable. It's immeasurable what God will do if we honor him and serve him in this way. And that's this. I want every man in our church Every man in our church, almost all of us blessed with a wife, almost all of us blessed with a family, almost all of us blessed with grandchildren, many of us on our way to starting a family, some already have their weddings planned for next year, some of us just got going. If every man in our church set aside just a few times a week to study God's word, not just with the intention, yes, obviously, I want you all to read your Bibles. I want you to on your own study God's word. That's everybody. But if the men in our church could set aside time to study it with the intention, maybe, maybe it's a passage, maybe it's three verses. Just intentionally study it so that they can pull out the truth, see what God has for him, them, honor him for it, you know, apply it to their lives, and then go teach that to their wives. Just one or two times a week, you study intentionally and then you go teach your wife. You study it with her, not lording over her, but in partnership as one. Now we together, like let me wash you by the water of the word as Ephesians teaches us. Like, this is how we're to treat our wives. Love them as Christ loved the church. Wash them in the water of the word. And let me serve you in that way. And then you and your wife, you can share intimately in that moment in scripture that brings life, that brings healing, that brings power, that brings the presence of God into your life, into your mind, and it's gonna continue to restore you and renew you and empower you to go forward. And then directly, like, don't just go from that 
to now I'm gonna ask you to go evangelize on the street corner. No, the, the next thing, what God has planned, what his intentions are for us, if we're gonna be servants of all, if we're gonna put ourselves last, if we wanna make a change, you and your wife, you then take that one or two more times each week and you now go teach whatever that is, just that little passage, those few verses. Now you go teach those to your children. You don't have children, you go teach them to your grandchildren. You don't have grandchildren, you can come to my house, my girls need all the help they can get. (laughs) But you do that because now you're partnering together, you're presenting the gospel, you're presenting the scripture within your home. You're teaching your children to love the Lord thy God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. Because each and every Father's Day, each and every year, we get up here and we give the men a hard time. Because we're supposed to be the spiritual heads, we're supposed to be the spiritual leaders, so on, so forth. And that's true. But almost none of us, and I'm, if your daddy did a good job, I'm not bashing him. I'm saying almost none of us had that replicated for us. Almost none of us had that taught to us on a one-on-one individual level. And so we're starting from scratch, ladies. Children, like we're doing our best. And, and men and, and wives and, and mothers, like we're so focused on meeting the needs of our children, letting them know that they're loved, getting them clothes, food, education, sport, whatever. But if we're gonna be servants of all, if we're gonna put ourselves last, we have to understand what comes first, what's most important, and that's the Lord thy God. And so for us to come together, serve, envision this, envision the next two, three years, we can put this into practice. That we have men in our church who minister directly to their wives, that we have husbands and wives who now minister directly to their children, that we are meeting this this biblical model that God has set up for us in our lives. Because we try to do all the other things. We go to church, we do this, like yeah, God says, God also says this. And then, how hard would it be if you're so used to studying the word, to teach your wife, to teach your children, to teach the people closest to you, how much more of a reach is that gonna be for you to volunteer for VBS? How much more of a reach is that gonna be for you to step in and help out with that children's Sunday school, that synergy class? How much of a reach is it you, for, for you to invite a new couple who has started coming to our church into your home to show them what you do to disciple them so that they may now disciple each other and and disciple their children. That is the gifting and the empowering of God. And it doesn't have to be a seven night thing a week. That's not gonna happen, we know that. But just a few times, just a few times setting aside, I'm gonna study this, why? Because I love you, God because I wanna serve my wife, because I wanna serve my kids, because one day, God, because I now know your word, because it's now fed me and empowered me and I'm holding on to you and holding on to it. Now, when I meet that person on the street, when I meet that coworker, when I meet that, that person at the grocery store, how much of a stretch, how much more comfortable am I gonna be talking about you to them? This is something that we have missed. 
and it's something we're in desperate need of. And I say that in personal experience. We need this. Because the children are so important. Because your wife is that important. Because in obedience to God, we wanna put all others above ourselves. Servants of all. So what's, what is more important? What are we gonna allow? Because you know, it's that time of year. We're all gonna make vows. We're all gonna make plans. We're all gonna set diets. We're all gonna try to start new routines. What is it that can, that can hinder us from stepping forward to this? From, from, from as a church, anointing new leaders, empowering ourselves to serve the people around us by being faithful to God's word first, by inviting, warning people about hell and, and inviting them to know Jesus and welcoming them into our fellowship. The greatest thing is gonna be ourselves. On an individual level, it is gonna be ourselves and our sin that holds us back the most. Because, for example, who knows you? Who knows you better than your kids? Who knows you better than your wife? And you know, all, all the time I listen to other pastors talk, I, I seek advice, you know, whether local guys or guys abroad. And one of the things that you know, many of them say always hindered their relationship with their family was they were not the same person on Sunday mornings as they were when they were in the pulpit as they were on Sunday nights at home. And not everybody's a pastor, but the, the same thing can apply to you. If what you are now trying to teach them, if what you're now trying to lead them into a knowledge of and a knowing of does not match up with who you are, that's gonna be a hindrance. So it's a humbling of ourselves. It's a laying down of our sinfulness, laying down of our pride, laying down of all these things in a pursuit of knowing God more, of feeling his presence and his power more in my home in my life, in him binding me and my wives together, uh, my wife, my one wife. <laughs> 10 years coming up, it's not time to trade you in. Like <laughs> Knitting me together so that like my, I have my children's heart and they love me and I can show them how to love the Lord. Sin is the only thing that's gonna cause us to stumble. Sin and selfishness and pride are the only things that are gonna hold us back. And so if you wanna make a change for this year, if you wanna be greater, if you want more, more of God, more of this, becoming a servant of all, then the, the thing that I would ask us to do, the thing I would challenge us to do, the thing I've been doing for several days now, it's, it's repenting. It's what John the Baptist came as he was trying to pave the way for Christ. Make clear your paths. Make clear your paths. Make, the Lord is coming. 
clear out your life. You do not have to be enslaved. You do not have to be ashamed. You do not have to be held by the sins, the secrets that you have kept in your life. You do not need to be hindered by them anymore. You can be free. God has promised that. Christ has said, I will forgive. You will be forgiven. I've come to redeem you. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Like you no longer have to be controlled and enslaved by sin, whatever your sin may be. Because mine may be your mine, yours is gonna be yours, and all of us are gonna struggle with similar things. And so let us, and in doing that, let you know that you are not alone in your sins. And you do not have to bear them on your own. That's why Christ came. That's why he's given us each other. And so that was the first message of John the Baptist. He said, repent. That was the first message of Christ. He's saying, repent. And that is the message that we must hear and understand now is that you are all in sin and you need to repent and die to yourself. Christ has came so you may be free from these things. Christ has come so that you don't have to live trapped within yourself in sin and in shame. That you can repent, that you can confess your sins and that you may be forgiven. So we're gonna stand here in a moment. Dwight, if you'll come up, I have a request. Today is, the, or yesterday, is the 250 year anniversary of Amazing Grace. So if we can sing it to its fullest, that's what I would desire. And during that time, please stand, please sing, please worship. But if you need to be where I need to be, which is at this halter, confessing your sins, repenting of what you have slipped into, fallen into, those habits, those things from your past, like a dog returning to vomit, now is the time for that change. Now is the time to let that go. Now is the time to free yourself from that so that we may move forward and we may seek God and his will in our lives. Let us stand, let us worship together now.